With that said, uh, as you all know, uh, over the last probably month and a half, well, yeah, since since January 1st, we well, the 31st of December, we've been taking a break from our verse-by-verse study, which we normally do, uh, through a book of the Bible, and we've been focusing on the Great Commission, the Lord's Commission out of Matthew 28, 19 through 20, to go and make disciples. And over the last two weeks, we've been focusing on specifically the power to witness, the power of the Holy Spirit in the life of the believer to uh, dynamically empower us to be the witness that God has called us to be. And so with that, I want to pray real quickly and we'll get going. Lord, we love you so much. And we ask, Lord, this morning that your spirit would well up within us, that we would have ears to hear what your spirit is saying to the church, that we might be those imitators of God. We might be those who walk like Jesus, who don't grieve the Spirit, but are filled with the Spirit and witness not only with our words, but with the truth reflected in our lives. We pray that we'd be that dynamic, powerful church you've called us to be, the ones you've bought with your own precious blood. And so now, Lord, fill us, use us, and teach us by your Spirit. We pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. As we know, Jesus commanded his disciples and us, he said, go. I want you to go into the whole world and make disciples of all nations. We we know this to be true. And the purpose, by the way, of making disciples is first to preach. We're to communicate the gospel of Jesus Christ. And then, as people believe, they're to be baptized and to be taught on how to obey Jesus Christ. But we were never expected by God to go ahead and do this in our own power. I mean, and we talked about the intimidation factor being off the charts for so many of us. Amen? You know, I think I was talking with someone this week, and and it's, you know, people worry so much about, you know, maybe being overpowering, kind of mean in their communication of the gospel. I really don't think we struggle with that so much as we do not communicating it at all. Like, I think that's the, that's the end of the spectrum we're on right now in society is where we're fearful of sharing our faith because the dark is so dark and the consequences are so high that it's difficult to just, how do you overcome that? And, and, and when you're dealing with family members, maybe, or you're dealing with, with, with a work environment or people, you realize the consequences are high in, in these relationships and you feel the weight of that. And what has to overcome that is, is a power that is not of yourself. The power that we see operating in the life of believers in the New Testament, the power of the Holy Spirit. And the church said, amen. Like, hello. (laughs) Like, yeah, yay. And so we saw at the beginning of Acts, uh, Acts 1, that Jesus told them to to go in Matthew. But in then Acts 1, Jesus says, but before you go, I want you to wait. I want you to wait, Acts 1, uh, well, four, verses 4 and 5. It says, while staying with them, he ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, you heard from me. Uh, for John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. And so in Acts 1, 4 through 5, Jesus tells them to wait for the promise of the Holy Spirit. You are called to go, but you have to be empowered to go. And Jesus tells them then in Acts 1.8, if you just keep following along in Acts there, because you just turned to Acts because I was talking about Acts. So Acts 1.8, right? Verse 8, you will receive power, dynamite, when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria to the ends of the earth. And so Jesus promises the indwelling of the Holy Spirit to those New Testament believers, those early apostles and disciples, that the Holy Spirit would fill them and give them the power to be the witnesses he called them to be. Isn't that awesome? You got to wait. I'm going to fill you. He fills them in Acts 2, right? So the Holy Spirit fell upon them in Acts 2 on that day, that unique event, that one-time event in Pentecost, and they were all filled. And immediately they began to witness of Jesus Christ. Amen? And where did they start witnessing? In Jerusalem. And then it went to Judea. 
and then Samaria, and then the uttermost parts of the earth. That witness began to spread out as the Holy Spirit uh, empowered them. And, and we saw that they faced bold opposition, <clears throat> right? Pretty intimidating opposition. And yet, they were bold in the face of that opposition. Not rude, bold to declare the truth of Jesus Christ. <clears throat> and he called, they called the nation to repentance. They called the people to repent, to turn, and then to believe upon Jesus Christ. They were recalling Scripture. I mean, just... The Holy Spirit, Jesus told them, hey, don't you worry when you're called before people. The Holy Spirit will recall, help you remember what you need to know in that moment. And they were able to recall Scripture that they had placed in their hearts. They preached the gospel. They gave them the bad news and the good news. The bad news that there's, there's a judgment coming for sin. That's not, you know, the thing we want to talk about. Nevertheless, they were bold. They're saying, listen. Jesus is going to come and he's going to judge. And he's proven it by the resurrection, by resurrecting. He's going to judge the world through this man. He's going to, <clears throat> through Jesus Christ. And so there's sin and there's judgment. That's the bad news. But he also preached the good news. God has provided a great and massive, wonderful, glorious, merciful way for forgiveness. Jesus Christ died and his blood is enough to cover all our sins. The innocent Jesus Christ for the guilty, you and I, right? And everybody else. And he died and he rose again and he has the power and the authority to give eternal life to anyone who would believe. It's the good news. And they were preaching this and people were coming to him and uh, to them and they were saying, "How? what am I saying to do to be saved? There was a work of God, a massive work of God as the Holy Spirit was testifying of Christ through them. And church, that's not supposed to stop. That's God's plan. Now, we might not be apostles. <laughs> We're not, you know, doing all the apostle type stuff. But however God desires to work through us, I say amen. If he wants to heal people and raise the dead, I say amen. But if he wants to simply save the dead and resurrect them to eternal life through the preaching of the gospel, amen. That's the, that's the thing that truly matters. And so we saw as the Spirit led, they boldly proclaimed Jesus, and the Spirit of God in them was the difference. And, and so just so we don't get confused, we were reminded last week that each and every believer has been born again by the Spirit. This is important. We are born of His Spirit. We have been given the Spirit by nature of being born again. When we are born again, God didn't like go, I will just give you a quarter of me. We have all of the Lord. With it. We are born again. We are born of God. It is our new nature. We are children of God. If indeed you have believed upon Jesus Christ. Jesus says in John 3, 6, He says, That which is born of the flesh is flesh. That which is born of the Spirit is spirit. Believers in Jesus have the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. You are born of the Spirit. Romans 8, 9. You, however, are not in the flesh, Paul says, but in the Spirit. If, in fact, the Spirit of God dwells in you. He kind of did Yoda talk there. He's just saying, listen, if you're born again, you have the Spirit. If you have the Spirit, you're born again. Anyone who does not have the Spirit of Christ does not belong to him. So the cool thing is each and every single one of us can say right now, man, who believe in Jesus Christ, I have the Spirit of God within me. I have His Spirit within me. And we know this, this is all throughout the New Testament, a believer is sealed with the Holy Spirit. In other words, the proof that you are His is the Holy Spirit. It's the down payment, so to speak, the seal in which we now know that, that we are His. Ephesians 1, 13 through 14. It says it in other places, but Ephesians 1, 13 through 14 says, In Him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and you believed, when you heard the gospel and you believed, what happened? In Him you were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit. 
who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of his glory. That's pretty cool. If you notice there, by the way, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, you were sealed with the promise of the Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our uh, inheritance until we acquire possession of it. And I would say if you, if you read Ephesians, you read First Peter, you read other places, the, the possession is him. <laughs> you know, until you're with him, face to face, there I am, you will be also. And so it's, he's given you himself until you are with him. I know that's a weird way of looking at it. But in last week, we saw examples of the, of the witness of the, of the early apostles and how they were filled with the Spirit. What does it look like? Like, how did God use them? And so the Holy Spirit's not someone you need to conjure up or call down. I know we sing songs about, hey, fill me with the Holy Spirit. I just want, I want us to read the Bible and, and look at it and see how many verses say a, a prayer that says, fill me with your Spirit. Now, I am not anti-Holy Spirit. <laughs> I just think there's something we mean biblically when we're saying that, that we've kind of culturally accepted. And we got to be careful that we're not, not saying, give us something that we don't have, but more along the lines of, Lord, take all of me. That's the more biblical way of looking at it, as we're going to see here in Ephesians 5. But he was with them, he's in them, and, and he wants to overflow through them, and he, same with us. And so how do we access and experience his power to witness? This dynamic that we saw last week, how, how do we have whatever God has for us in that realm? Well, a few verses I want to focus on today, there are many, but we'll just look at a few sweeping ideas that will help us understand how to be filled with the Holy Spirit. From a biblical perspective, what does the Bible show us about it? Please turn with me to Ephesians chapter 5. Ephesians chapter 5. And we're going to look at verses 1 through 21 together. Sorry, Marilyn. Ephesians 5, 1 through 21. But the key verse for us, look down to verse 18 when you're in Ephesians 5. Ephesians 5, 18 says, And do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be what? But be filled with the Spirit. And so here is a command from Paul, obviously not to get drunk, but to be filled with the Spirit. So there's a command to be filled with the Spirit. That's pretty cool. So know that it is God's will that you and I are to, are, are to be filled with the Holy Spirit. That's His desire. And so we know that. Well, what does that look like? This is where we get to zoom out, and I'm going to reverse engineer chapter 5. I'm going to teach, well, anyways, follow the rabbit trail with me. Chapter 5, beginning in verses 1 and 2, I want you to take notes. What, is verse one and, what do verses 1 and 2 say? Therefore, be what? Imitators of whom? Of God, as beloved children. And do what? And walk in love as who? As Christ loved us. And gave himself up for us, a fragrant offering and a sacrifice to God. So there at the beginning of chapter 5, verses 1 and 2, we see a couple things. There's the command to be imitators of God, like children imitating parents. That's the idea there, that if we're his children, we're going to supposed to imitate our parents, imitate God. And then in verse 2, it tells us then to walk, walk like who? Like Christ. How? In sacrificial love. We're to imitate God and we're to walk like Christ. But did you catch verse 1, word 1? What is that first word? What does it say? Therefore. Now, a little rule of Bible interpretation. If you have a therefore, you need to find out what it's there for. All right? 
Does this kind of know that? So what does that mean? That everything in chapter 5, or at least chapter 5, verse 1 and 2, is based upon what was said previously. And this is reverse engineering. This is how we... So we're going to go all the way back to Ephesians 1. No, I'm just kidding. We're not going to do that. But flip left. I want to give you some bookends here. And we'll just start in verse 30 through 32. Ephesians 4, 30 through 32. Thank you. And do not grieve the who? The Holy Spirit of who? Of God. By whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Don't grieve the Holy Spirit by whom you were sealed. We already talked about that. The one who's in you. Well, how would that grieving play out? Well, verse 31, let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you along with all malice. Instead, verse 32, what doesn't grieve the Holy Spirit? Be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another. How? As God in Christ forgave you. Therefore, what? Be imitators of God. Does that make sense? Don't grieve the Spirit, but be imitators of God. In your kindness, just as God was kind to you, now you go be that way to one another, is the idea. Don't grieve the Spirit. Don't live a life that grieves the Spirit, but rather imitate God. That's the flow here. Therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children and walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us, a fragrant offering and a sacrifice. What Paul is saying is that you were sealed with the Holy Spirit. He is in you. He is with you. Don't grieve him and all this stuff. But rather, verse 32, be kind, be tenderhearted, just as God has been with you. Be imitators of God is the idea, right? In other words, chapter 5, verse 1, therefore, be imitators of God. Hey, guess what? Be imitators of God. What's it saying to do? Be imitators of God. This is the thrust of chapter 5. Be imitators of God. And what does verse 2 say? Just like who else? Like Christ, who was a, a what? Imitator of God, who's God in the flesh. We have a real example of an imitator of God. And Paul would go on to say, imitate me as I imitate Christ. And a mature Christian would be able to say, hey, imitate me as I imitate Christ. Be imitators of God. I love, I love what it says in 1 John 1.6. It says the same thing. Whoever says he abides in him ought to walk in the same way in which he walked. This is what Christians are. We're little Christians. We're little Christ. We walk like Jesus. Isn't that wild? How many of you, when you signed up to be a Christian, you didn't know that actually God's plan was to make you imitators of him and that you would follow him and live like him because he put his spirit in you and gave you the power to do that. He changed you. You're born of him. You're now children, his children. That's who you are. That's your new identity. Whoever, verse 6 says he abides in a moth to walk the same way, way in which he walks, First John 1, 6 says. And so we see the command not to grieve the Spirit, but rather to be imitators of God and to walk like Christ. In other words, verse 18, don't be drunk with wine, but be what? Filled with the Spirit. They're all saying the same thing. This is, this is Paul using the Trinity to go ahead and, and paint the picture of what it is to be an imitator of God. Of God. Imitate God, imitate Jesus, be filled with the Spirit. It's all saying the same thing. Isn't that neat? That's, that's what he's talking about in chapter 5. So when we wonder, what does it look like to be filled with the Spirit? Chapter 5 tells you what it doesn't look like and what it does look like. That's important. And if you are going to walk away with anything this morning, 
It is that to be filled with the Spirit is to imitate God. It's to walk in sacrificial love like Jesus. It is to not grieve the Holy Spirit, but rather be filled with the Spirit. That's, it's all saying the same thing. And, and this is how the disciples lived. And this is what we're called to as Christians. And this is where the power comes from. As my wife would say, holiness. She always says something. I, I'm the long-winded person, if you didn't guess. She just says the truth, like, boom. Call them nuclear nutshells. She's just like, holiness. God's calling his church to holiness. And this is where the power is. That's, that's who Jesus was. That's who the disciples were. That's who Christians are. We're holy. So please look at me at the following verses. One, starting in one, we're just going to run through this quickly. Therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children and walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us as a fragrant offering and a sacrifice to God. To be imitators of God is to walk in love, not the world's love and God's love, a sacrificial love, right? Jesus gave himself up for us. He lived sacrificially to God, his Father. He obeyed his will, and what he did was to benefit us. That's how, that's how Jesus lived. Romans 12, 1 through 2. This is one you'll want to write down. What it looks like to imitate God, to walk like Jesus, to be in the Spirit. Romans 12, 1 through 2. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers. Uh-oh, therefore. What's the therefore? Well, it's just chapters 1 through 11 in Romans. We won't read that at the moment. But I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, because he's been so merciful, to present your bodies as a what? Living sacrifice, just like Jesus. Holy and acceptable to God, set apart and acceptable to God. See, it's different. And what does he say? Which is your spiritual worship. This is a life of worship before God. You see, worship isn't just here on Sunday morning when we sing together. It's a life. It's a life that's holy. It's a life that's obedient. It's a life that's set apart. It's a life that doesn't grieve the Holy Spirit. It's a life that's submitted to the Lord in mimicking Jesus and being imitators of God. That is what it, it's living out the life that's in us, the new life. It's worship. And he tells us, just so we understand, verse 2, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed. This is the kind of transformation God has called us to. It's to no longer be conformed to the life of the flesh, but to be transformed. New life, new spirit, new dad. Be transformed. How? In the renewing of your mind, the way you think. And as God changes your thinking through his word and his spirit in you, what happens? That by testing you may discern what is the will of God. This is discipleship. Whereas as you're walking He's teaching you what God wants and desires, and you're changing according to the Spirit. You're following Him day by day, and, and your mouth changes, and your heart changes, and your actions change, and you just become more like Jesus every single day. And this is the witness, the power of the truth in us, living through us, His Spirit working in us. It, it's the witness to the world that matches with the words. Amen. That's the power there. And goes that by testing, you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. Don't be conformed, but be transformed. So the entire thrust of chapter 5 is calling us to be filled with the Spirit, to be imitators of God. And so what's contrary to that? What does it look like to not do that? And Paul has to give us real practical terms. He does it for the people in Ephesus that were living in a, a really bad society that was totally given over to a lot of things that were given over to here. And in our major cities, back to verse 3, look what he says. But sexual immorality and all impurity or covetousness must not even be named among you as it is proper among the saints. Just 
Think about that verse for a second. Paul begins to list actions that flow from a heart that's not submitted to the Lord, that's grieving the Holy Spirit, that's not imitating God, that's not walking in Christ's love. These actions are contrary to being his children. Sexual morality, the word there is pornea, which is where we get our word pornography. And it has the idea of just sexual morality, just total anything and everything in a category of all things sex that are not in God's blessed confines of marriage. This is our thought life. This is our actions. All those things. Pornea. And I, I don't need to go into great detail about that. But impurity. This is impure motives. Lust. Luxurious and profligate living. So living a life that seeks to satisfy the flesh, fleshly passion, passions in excess. So you're just going after that stuff. And right along the side of it, covetousness. Or greed. The desire to have more in the context is a person that is being driven by their desires. And so Paul says this kind of stuff is not to be even named among you. That's really popular in churches. That's really going to pull people into the pews. That's really going to be the, the ticket to grow your church and make it huge. It's not even to be named among you. The problem is, the church is riddled with it. Leadership is riddled with it. All this stuff. It's not even to be named among us. See the way God thinks about things and the way we think about things? We wonder where our power is. And so what happens is the church has to substitute the power of the Holy Spirit with a bunch of other stuff. Because they don't have holiness. They're not walking in purity and power of the Holy Spirit. And the world doesn't know any better, any different. And the enemy can just simply come in there and just substitute things that make people feel good and actually appeals to their flesh. And they don't even know it. And they think they're in relationship with God when actually all these things are being coddled and not addressed. Isn't that scary? How sneaky he is? Paul says this kind of stuff's not even to be mentioned among you. And that's proper among the saints, meaning that's what a group of believers should be living like in holiness. That's what God asks for and requires. That's what it is to be imitators of God. That's what it is to be filled with the Spirit. But I want... To be filled with the Spirit means I've got an unction and a feeling, and I've got a, a, an, an existential feeling, you know, that, that's happening. And no doubt there's a lot of that stuff associated with the Holy Spirit. I don't want to deny what His influence does. Amen? Don't want to cut Him short, but I, I know that there has... He's also in truth. And so, do we think like this as believers? Or do we make room in our hearts for what shouldn't even be named among us? And the Holy Spirit is busy convicting us about this stuff. Not so that rub our nose in it, but so that He would have all of us. Because God wants all of us. He wants us to be imitators of Him. So that He can cleanse us and purify us and get rid of this sin that, that so easily ensnares us, Paul says. Amen? And so, this is what he's talking about. Don't grieve the Spirit, but be filled with the Spirit. The bookend verses. Look at verse 4. Let there be no filthiness or foolish talk or crude joking, which are out of place. Notice the first one shouldn't be named among, among you. Second one, he uses another phrase. All this stuff is out of, out of place. Like, certain comedy, it's just, it's just fleshy. It's not... It's not in line with the Lord. But instead of your mouth being full of that stuff, what should be coming out of our mouths? Let there be thanksgiving. 
worship and thankfulness. Now, people can take this as legalism because when you're trying to conform someone's actions without the heart changing, that's religion, that's legalism, that doesn't work. And so Paul is speaking to a spiritual people that are supposed to be born again, right? They're supposed to have the Spirit of God in them, and he's appealing to them, saying, listen, the Holy Spirit is pulling you this way. That's flesh. Deny that stuff and, and, and live obediently to the Holy Spirit. That's what he's saying. That's the old way. What's he calling us to? Discipleship. Does discipleship mean on day one you've had it all figured out? No, it means you were born again, and now you're living this new life, and you've got your dumb body with you, right? And all the things that are pulling at you, and now Jesus is going to teach you how to deny that and live after the Spirit, right? And so this is the process he's in. This is why he's teaching them. He's saying, listen, that's, that shouldn't even be named among you. This is the goal. Holiness, purity, move towards it. Let God do it in you, amen? Confess it, get rid of it, change it, ask for help, read the word, show what he does. Hey, you're stealing stuff? You've been, a, you've been a thief your life? Well, guess what? God's got a cure for you. Jesus Christ came into your heart and he born you again. You were born again and now, now what do you do? Well, I go get a job. Yeah, that's what he says, go work. Okay, why am I working? Okay, great, I'm just working. Wait, wonderful. No, 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 no. The purpose is you go work, you take care of yourself, and you work hard enough to where you're now able to give. You see, you become a, you were a taker, but now you're a giver. God's transformed you into his likeness. He's a giver to those who are in need. Amen? And he does that in all these things. And so let no filthiness or foolish talking or crude joking, or, or they're all out of place. And so some of us struggle with this stuff, with our mouths and the way we're thinking. Well, that flows from a heart. A heart that needs to be submitted to God. And so he goes, but instead, let there be thanksgiving. This is what God wants to replace is a heart full of thanksgiving. He can do that. How do you do that? Well, it takes a supernatural power. And he's in you. You pray and you ask for his will and he promises to answer. And he'll give you opportunities. And he'll convict you over your speech and these things. And he trains you in righteousness and you are transformed day by day. Amen. And so all that kind of stuff the world does in its speech, it's out of place for us. It doesn't fit. And this is why Jesus calls us to be disciples, not churchgoers. So the power of our witness comes from our lives being conformed to his life. You see that? The power to witness is not just, and we start speaking. It's a life that is submitted. It's his life in and through us. Amen? Verse 5, for you may be sure of this, that everyone who is sexually immoral or impure or whoever is covetousness or, sorry, whoever is covetous, that is an idolater, has no inheritance in the kingdom of God or of Christ. Well, I just want to reassure you that if you're living like that, it's okay because God's grace just covers you. Oh, wait, keep reading, verse 6. Let no one deceive you with empty words. For because of these things, the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience. Let no one deceive you. Let no one deceive you. God's calling you to holiness. Can it be clear? What Paul is saying here is that those who imitate these practices, who live that way, it proves out who they are. You're not his. Does that mean that believers don't stumble in these things? Yes, they do. That's the very nature of us being a disciple. But that is not who we are. The Holy Spirit will convict us and teach us and we move from these things. This is walking in the light. This is what a true Christian is. And so, wrath is coming upon disobedience. God's calling us to obedience. That's what a Christian is. That's what it means to be born of the Spirit. That's what it means to be filled with the Spirit. That's what it means to be an imitator of God. It means you, that's, that's who you are. You walk like Jesus. Now, what's the Great Commission again? Go and make disciples. 
of all nations, baptizing them and teaching them to obey all that I've commanded you. Teaching them how to submit themselves to the Spirit, to what the Lord has clearly showed us. And that's a, it's a lifetime thing, amen? And so verse 7, we're not imitating the pattern of the world. Therefore, do not become partners with the world, with them. For at one time you were darkness, but now you're light in the Lord. Walk as children of the light, for the fruit, for the fruit of, uh, of light is found in all that is good and right and true. And try to discern what's pleasing to the Lord. Verse 11, don't take no part in the unfruitful works of darkness, but instead expose them. For it's shameful even to speak of the things that they do in secret. But when anything is exposed by the light, it becomes visible. For anything that becomes visible is, is light. Therefore, it says, awake, O sleeper, and arise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. Paul is saying, take no part in the fruitful works of darkness, but rather expose them. Expose them in you. Expose them by living and walking in the light, in, in, in fellowship with one another, and in the world. That's the idea. There is a witness of the truth and his change in you as you walk. And it says, and that's what happens, by the way, when we are walking in the light and we're walking in truth with one another, our love for one another is evident. That's our witness. And then he says there, awake, O sleeper, arise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. This was a phrase in the early church. What it's saying is that our witness is going to be powerful, and what happens is the Lord uses us, and people wake up from the dead. <laughs> people come to life through uh, uh, someone submitted to Jesus Christ walking in the light. Anyways, verse 15. So Paul says, look carefully then how you walk, not as unwise but wise, making the best use of time because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. Verse 18. And do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be what? Filled with the Spirit. Now, real quickly, is the issue wine here? Now, in their day, there was worship associated with drunkenness, okay? And that's how they communed with God in, in, in Ephesus, one of the ways they would do that, okay? They would get totally wasted, and they would commune with their gods. It's part of their worship. They would do all kinds of horrible things. So Paul's speaking to a culture here. But what he's saying here, if you look, chapter 4, 4, 30, verse 1, don't grieve the Spirit, be imitators of God, walk with Christ, be filled with the Spirit. That's what he's throwing, that's what he's telling us, okay? And so, verse 18, look at it, don't get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery. One of those weird words we don't understand, but be filled with the Spirit. Paul first gives an exhortation about being filled with something other than the Holy Spirit. What fills your life? What influences you? What makes the decisions in your life? What causes you to move in a direction? What causes you to act and to go? And he gives an example here of the effects that wine has on someone. We saw the warnings of all these other things in chapter 5. Those are just symptoms of a heart. But he says here, don't get drunk with wine. And in our understanding, let wine be a place marker for anything that would take possession of you and compete with and be a substitute for the Spirit. Don't get drunk with wine. He says, why? Why? So that you are just a good Christian. Now in your mind, some of you are going, well, I don't get drunk with wine, but I sure smoke the pot, you know, or whatever it is, you know, so he's not talking about that, so I'm good to go. No, I'm just thinking back to my really early days in church, how to justify things. The reason why he says it is because it's debauchery. It's an unguided life that leads to destruction. That's the idea of of debauchery. It's an unmoored ship tossed by the winds and the waves, and you're going to crash into rocks. That's the idea, a rudderless life. Paul says, but rather be what? Filled with what? The Spirit. Now, Paul doesn't tell you how to be filled with the Spirit in this verse. He's, he's been telling you. The context of five is about that. But here he just says, don't be drunk with wine, but be filled with the Spirit. There's a play on words there and the word be filled. Listen to me just for the last minute or two here. 
and that your life is going to be filled with something influencing it. The idea is what or who is filling the sail of your soul. Picture a sailboat or a, a ship that has unfurled its, its sail, and it just comes down, and the wind catches it and goes, <sighs> picture that. That's the idea there. That the wind comes, and it catches the sail, and it pushes it in the direction of the wind. Don't be filled with wine which leads to the rocks of destruction, but be filled with the Spirit of God. That's what He has called you to. All the stuff I've been describing, don't be filled with that. That's not you anymore. Be filled with Him. Let Him push your life. Let Him fill your life. Overflow your life. The command here to be filled, is, it's in, the, it's, it's in a tense that's it's continual. There's... It's translated into English, be filled, but the idea is to continue to be filled. Be being filled with the Holy Spirit. It's the same in verse 1. Be imitators of God. Continually be imitators of God. Continue to walk, as the idea is not like you just walk and stop, it's you are walking. It's, it's a continual way of life. Be filled with the Spirit. That's who you are. Continually imitate God. Continually walk after Him. Continually don't grieve Him. Continually obey Him. Continually live this life that He's called you to, the new life. Let Him overflow you. And Paul says, saying that the sale of your life is filled with wine, for example. It's an abandoned life, a directionless life. It's leading to destruction for you and others. Fill in the blank. But when you are being filled with continually with the Spirit, it's not leading to death. It's leading to something else. It's leading to the effects of the Spirit. Verse 19. But be filled with the Spirit, addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. What are psalms and hymns and spiritual songs? They're different ways of saying the truths about God, the praises of God, the glories of God, the things that edify and build up one another. When you're filled with wine, you do stupid stuff, and you say stupid stuff, and people get destroyed. When you're filled with the Spirit, you walk in love. And you, what you say and you do edifies. Speaking to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, and singing and making melody in the Lord with your heart. There's a song in your heart to God because He's so good. You're filled with and, and, and he's playing off a of drunkenness here. He's saying the world will do that, but our filled is it's different. It's a different filling. You're going to be filled so much, and thankfulness is going to come out of your mouth and flow out of your life. Giving thanks, verse 20, always and for everything. Is that what's happening? People who are filled with the Spirit give thanks, always and for everything. How many of us are complainers? I know so many complainers, not named me. Oh, pray for me on this. I just, it's weird. People with speaking gifts sometimes have the double-edged sword of discouragement. I can, you know, so pray for me in this area. I tend to go towards the dark side. You know, it's not it. That's not the life of the Spirit. It's unacceptable. Should not be named among us. Amen? You know, and I'm not trying to go, oh, you know, we can all relate. No, we need to stop it. <laughs> it's done, you know? Be filled with the Spirit. And notice, thankfulness comes out instead of complaining. For everything and all things. Not, thank you for cancer, God. That's not what he's talking about. Thank you that you're God in the midst of the cancer. So, Verse 21, did you guys notice this one as well? When you're filled with the Spirit, what happens? Submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. What is this culture all about? Submission to authority? Submitting to one another? What's it about? My rights, me. And then Paul lays out 
these situations. Just look, submitting to one another out of the reverence of Christ. By the way, great verse to, to look up, which I know you're writing down, Philippians 2, 4 through 8. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ. He was in the place of God, and yet he, he humbled himself. That's just a very matte paraphrase, but he emptied himself. But look what it says in verse 16. Let the word, oh, I'm sorry, that's another message. But look what it says. How are we to submit to one another in our relationships? Wives, submit to your husbands. How many of you get that verse out of context? Well done. Spirit-filled woman, submitted to their husband. That's what a spirit-filled woman does. She submits to her husband. Wives, submit to your husbands. The context, it's all chapter 5. You're filled with the Spirit. But what about the other guy? Don't worry about the other guy. You worry about you being filled with the Spirit. You following Jesus Christ. You pray for your husband. Husbands, love your wives. How? Sacrificial love. As Christ loved the church. Makes it a whole lot easier for people to submit to one another when they're living like this, huh? Children, obey your parents. So you've got that mutual submission, that relationship between husband and wife. Then you've got children, obey your parents. This is pleasing to the Lord. It's a promise with a long life. What's the purpose of that? That's what a, a, a spirit-filled relationship with your children is, is their submission to authority. Oh, what about relationships we don't necessarily like to submit in? Slaves, obey your masters. This is not a verse saying slavery is wonderful. This is saying that the world is cruel and hard, and you've been captivated You've been captured by the Roman army. They came in, they decimated your place, and you are now in shackles. You are now a prisoner. There's nothing you can do about it. What do you do? Well, you win them to Jesus. How do you do that? You show it, and you live it. You submit to them. Not in evil, but in the things they're asking you to do. And he flips it around. Hey, you, you, crit, you, uh, you, Slave owners that became Christians. Are you treating? How are you treating them? And he starts talking to them, right? About how to have godly authority in a broken world. And flip it around. Just take, or just take it out of that context and just say employer, employee. Forget capitalism and socialism and all that stuff for a minute. Just be a Christian. Live like Christ, that we might win some. You see, our witness is spirit-filled believers. There is no substitute for a spirit-filled church. This is God's plan, that we live holy and following Him and after Him. And when we do that, by God's grace, not that we deserve it at any point, but I tell you what, it's like that picture I, I, that someone did and I shared you last week. It's like we are the moon and he is the sun. And the more the world gets between us and him, the less we reflect his glory. Some of us are sliver moons. Some of us have been operating black ops for I don't know how long. Black, op, black ops Christians. We don't even know, you know, hello. We've got stealth Christianity, like no one, let your light shine before men in such a way that they glorify your Father in heaven, right? We want to be shining the full glory of the Lord to this world around us. Amen? That's his desire for you. That's his plan, to have all of you. He's already in you. Let him out. Let him shine. Submit to him, abide in him, John 15. I, like I said at the beginning, there's so many verses we can talk about, about the baptism of the Spirit and all these types of things, but this is the core of a Christian. It's someone who just is submitted to Jesus Christ and loves him and is just letting him shine. That's the church. Amen? We pray for one another in this because it's hard.
So there's a song, a couple songs on my mind. I, I shared it before, but um, there's a song by Graham Kendricks, uh, To Keep Your Lovely Face. Um, it says, to keep your lovely face ever before my eyes, this is my prayer, make it my strong desire, that in my secret heart no other love competes, no rival throne survives, and I serve only you. I love that, that in my secret heart no other love competes, no rival throne survives, but I serve only you. Bob Fitz does an awesome version of that to keep your lovely face. And so just, it's a simple prayer, but I want to close. We have John call, come back up. And we're going to close by singing um, Spirit of the Living God, Fall Afresh on Me. Can we stand together? Those who are able to stand. Father, we, we ask once again, that your spirit would fall upon us and baptize us afresh in the sense that you would have no competition. Take all of us, Lord. You took 12. There's a lot more than 12 in this room, and you changed the world, Lord. And they had a bunch of issues going on. We have a bunch of issues going on here. And so, Lord, you are the, you are the one we want to imitate. Bring yourself into full view of our lives, in our lives, in our thinking, in our daily pursuits. Be number one, Lord. Help us to imitate you, to, to mimic you, to not grieve your spirit, but to be filled with the spirit. And I know there are several people in here, Lord, that are, have been convicted over the things that have taken the place and they feel helpless. Step into the light. I encourage you to step into the light. Share the things that have been captivating your soul with a brother or a sister, sisters with sisters, brother with brothers. And, and, and let God cleanse you and heal you and forgive you and empower you. The enemy would lie to you and say you're hopeless. That's not true. That's a lie. Let Christ wake you up, O oh sleeper. Let him wake us up. Father, by your grace, we ask for you to fill us. In the name of Jesus, amen.